from the Pardis Institute of Jewish Studies. This is Pardis from Jerusalem. I'm Larry Kluger, Pardis alum. This week, Vaikra. This week, during these tough times with the coronavirus, we have additional learning opportunities for you. Complete listings are available from Pardis's uh, website. That's pardes.org.il. Check it out and also tell your friends. This week, Vaikra with Tovalea Nachmani. Tovalea Nachmani is a member of the Pardes faculty. And now, Tovalea Nachmani. I don't know about you, but I've been wondering if, after this corona crisis, our world will ever be the same. Cautiously, I say that I hope our world will never be the same. I hope it will be better. Ravioni Lavi is one of the prominent and vocal Israeli educators whose life mission is to provide clarity and guidance to parents and their children in the face of modern-day challenges. He wrote a very special post this week, which I will translate from the Hebrew. Ravioni Lavi says, This is crazy. This is not normal, my wife said. This situation with corona is simply not normal. You're 100% right, I agreed with her. It is totally not normal to be living the way we are living now. And on the other hand, to be running around busy from morning till night and never be at home with our family, our spouse, our parents, our children. Is that normal? To go for 24 hours without taking note of where we were, who we met, and whose hand we shook. Is that normal? To only let other people clean your house and educate your children. Is that normal? To think that a vacation means having to fly overseas. In, only t- in order to only admire the beauty and dazzle of foreign cultures, is that normal? To spend Passover Seder in Egypt or Hanukkah in Greece because you got a cheap deal, is that normal? To eat out fast food which is high in fat, cholesterol, and sugar, is that normal? To spend exorbitant amounts of money on weddings and bar bat mitzvah celebrations for hundreds of people and then to be in debt, is that normal? He ends his post by writing, I don't know how long the coronavirus will keep us all home. But one thing I do know, that right now, a month before Passover, it is making a lot of Seder, a lot of order in our lives. It is helping us to reset our priorities. One of my favorite masters of relationships wisdom, the internationally renowned Hedy Schleifer, wrote to her followers this week, In this significant time of not-knowingness, I want to share with you a very short story. I call this story, Can We Take This Time to Rest So That Our Souls Can Catch Up With Us? The story is told of a South American tribe that went on a long march, day after day, when all of a sudden they would stop walking, sit down for a while, and then make camp for a couple of days before going further. When asked why they did that, they explained that they needed the time to rest so that their souls could catch up with them. This story is told by Wayne Mueller, an ordained minister, she writes, in a wonderfully soothing book called Sabbath. In Sabbath, Wayne Mueller weaves together the strands of different religious traditions to reveal how each of them attempts to honor the sacred meaning of the Jewish Sabbath. On the jacket of the book, Hedy writes, It says, Millennia ago, the tradition of Sabbath created an oasis of sacred time within a life of unceasing labor, a refuge for our souls. There's no question that people are suffering terribly from the coronavirus, from the corona crisis. There's no question that our world needs a major dose of redeeming, and we need it ASAP, as soon as possible. How do we achieve redemption? How do we achieve geulah? 
In other words, how will we be able to bring our world back to a state of normal, but a better normal than we had before? In time, everyone will need to find their own answers to this question, if they care to seek. I hope we will care to seek and to learn, even if we have to come to it the hard way. Here is one idea that speaks to me. Our Talmudic sages in Masechet Megillah, the tractate called Megillah, teach us a radically deep idea that takes two seconds to do. They say that one way to return normalcy to an outrageous or dangerous situation, one way to bring about redemption, Geula, is to say what we say in the name of the person who originally said it. It says in the, in the Talmud the following, Rabbi Elazar said in the name of Rabbi Hanina, anyone who brings an idea in the name of the person who said it brings redemption to the world. And I'll read it in Hebrew. Amar Rabbi Elazar, Amar Rabbi Hanina, kol haomer davar b'shem omro mevi geula le'olam. In other words, the sages are telling us not to take credit for an idea or piece of wisdom that someone else thought of first. They are telling us to quote other people. In the academic world, no one would dream of submitting a research paper without dozens, if not hundreds, of footnotes from outside sources. When I personally teach a class in Torah at Pardes, or when I give a Dvar Torah at the Shabbat table, or share a piece of Facebook wisdom or an op-ed idea with my students or my friends, do I quote my sources? And if I do quote my sources, am I doing it to make myself sound smart and scholarly? Well, you know what Albert Einstein said about the law of, re- of relativity. Or Ramban entirely dis- disagrees with Rashi and Ibn Ezra when he says, The question I want to ask is, are we quoting our sources to make ourselves look smart and scholarly? Or are we bringing wisdom in the name of the person who said it as an act of humility? Are we saying, look how clever I am? Or are we not afraid to quote them, the people who brought their ideas, as a way of saying that we have so much to learn from others? Where were the rabbis themselves inspired to learn this radical piece of wisdom, to speak in the name of the source of wisdom? They learn it from the book of Esther, which we just read all over the Jewish world on Purim. Esther informs the king Ahasuerus about the assassination plot against him, designed by two of the king's guards, Bigtan and Teresh. But Esther doesn't take credit for revealing the danger and ultimately saving the king's life. Esther tells the king in the name of Mordechai, who is the one who overheard the assassination plan in the palace gate and reported it to her, to Esther. Why does it matter who tells the king and who gets credit for it? Who cares as long as the king is saved? In the Megillah, it is Mordechai who sends Esther to reveal Haman's plot to annihilate the entire Jewish people. And after the king calls for Haman's death, it is Mordechai who is promoted by the king instead of Haman. It is then Mordechai who is able to sign and send forth a royal edict, giving the Jews permission to defend themselves on the day that they are to be massively attacked and annihilated, God forbid. So Esther's bringing the words of Mordechai to the king and giving Mordechai credit for the statement is what brought redemption, geula, to the Jewish people. In our Talmudic statement, it says, So Rabbi Elazar himself doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. Because he says, in the name of Rabbi Hanina, you never know what amazing good can come from not trying to take credit for someone else's good idea. 
In the name of Rabbi Hanina, he is making a very potent call for us to act with mindful humility and sensitivity. I want to speak about how we can find mindful humility and sensitivity in the book of Vayikra, Leviticus, as it relates to the global corona crisis. So here we go, in the name of some of my favorite educators. An esteemed author, journalist, and former editor of newspapers in Israel, Dr. Chayuta Deutsch, shared an evocative idea about this week's Torah portion, Vayikra, which I want to tie to the new world we are living in as a result of the coronavirus. This woman, Dr. Deutsch, writes in a piece that she wrote for the fantastic Torah initiative 929, founded by an admired Israeli educator, author, and community leader, Rabbi Benny Lau, which invites all Jews to discover their most precious family heirloom, the Tanakh. Each and every one of the 929 chapters of the Tanakh, the five books of Torah, the books of prophets, and the books of writings, are explored in this 929 website in brief segments every year by a wide range and spectrum of Jewish writers and teachers. Each commentary provides an innovative twist to the stories in the Tanakh. Dr. Hayuta Deutsch titled her piece on Parshat Vayikra, Revealed and Concealed Callings. She writes about the first three words of the book and Torah portion of Vayikra, Leviticus. Vayikra el Moshe. And he called to Moshe. When I sat down to read the Torah portion of Vayikra in preparation for this podcast, I skipped right by those words. I skipped right over them. But Dr. Deutsch pulled me back, slowing me down to notice the nuance. She writes the following, These three opening words, Vayikra el Moshe, are so unusual in the Torah that it is impossible to push them aside. Here I was about to plow, for a second time, through the dense portion of Vayikra with its detailed instructions about mending our relationships with God by having to sacrifice our time, our money, and our energies in the form of bringing sacrifices, animals, or vegetables, flour, to the tabernacle and later to the holy temple. And then I backtracked. Thanks to Dr. Deutsch. Why are the words unusual that God called to Moshe? First, because the calling to Moshe is followed by, and God said to Moshe. That means the calling is redundant. First it says God called to Moshe, and then it says God said to Moshe. It could have just said, as it does countless other times in the Torah, and God said to Moshe, Vayidaber Hashem el Moshe. So Dr. Deutsch proposes a novel reading of why these words, Vayikra el Moshe, God called to Moshe, are remarkable. Because the simple meaning of those three words, she writes, are that God summoned a human being, without words, just summoned, and only after that God spoke. It is a very intimate gesture to summon a person. How many times in history has God done that? Just the way I might invite my close friend to an important conversation, hey, can we talk for a few minutes? I remember invitations like that that made me feel so loved when someone called out and wanted to talk to me. It's a very intimate gesture. We can't even imagine what that must have felt like to be summoned by God to a conversation. Never happened to me. Has it ever happened to you? But wait, says Dr. Deutsch. She says, I think it has happened, and it is happening right now in our lifetime. She says, remember when we were kids and we read detective stories for children? Remember those young detectives would find a blank piece of parchment, disappointed that nothing is written on it. But the clever kid in the pack would say, hey, wait a minute. There could be something hidden here. And then he or she would pour some liquid on the parchment or light a candle underneath it and suddenly be able to reveal what is written on the parchment. Maybe this is the way 
that God continues to call out to us, she writes, through undecipherable times in our lives. And I personally will say this certainly looks like one of those undecipherable times in our lives. Hedy Schleifer, the master of relationships, writes something so similar without referring to God as God, but as the sender of a silent teacher. She writes, I woke up last week with an image. What I saw was an invisible creature, a silent teacher, roaming our planet, intent on teaching us some very important basic facts. She's referring to the coronavirus. Hedy Schleifer brings her favorite quote by Iowa author and artist Brian Andreas, who says most people don't know that there are special angels whose only job it is to make sure you don't get too comfortable and fall asleep and miss your life. The angels of discomfort, as Hedy names them, are indeed all around us. What do we do in the 21st century with a microscopic virus that we don't know how to control? The threat is worldwide. We are all uniting to protect people's lives with hygiene and social distancing, which has turned into social isolation and quarantines. We are fighting a world war right now. But the good news is that we are all fighting on the same time, on the same side, on the same team. I love that. Even as far reaching out, even as far as reaching out to some enemy ruling powers to help them keep their people safe. Israel's doing that. What hidden message might God be sending for us to decipher from this world war? What is the silent calling to us as a world? We've all read other people's messages about air pollution, about needing better national and personal boundaries, and about a World Health Organization's position about infringing upon territory that should be left for wild animals. What would be your answer to that question? I am intentionally going to stop for a moment to give you time to think about that. What hidden message might God be sending for us? to decipher from this world war. There are people who are better at macro than micro. I'm better at micro. I don't know how to fix the economy, but I do think a lot about deepening and repairing relationships. Last night, I caught myself delving into more and more news reports on the internet. In a moment of mindfulness, I pulled myself away and sent messages to five people to check in and say, how are you? I'm thinking about you. One of my children, a friend of mine who is a single parent, my sister-in-law who is a widow, and some others. If we see ourselves as a team of detectives, I hope the message we are seeking to to decipher is not only about how to get rid of the coronavirus. What is this bizarre and uncertain time telling me about the ways I can bring light to others? With all of our fancy technology, it's actually not so hard. Tonight I called my daughter on a video call. She's married and lives five minutes away, but we can't see each other because here in Israel we've been required to stay inside our own homes. So I asked her, how are you doing? She's a university student, so she said, I feel like a couch potato in front of my computer all day long, which is a blessing on one hand because we're continuing to learn. On the other hand, I haven't budged from my sofa. So I invited my daughter to get on a video call with me. We put on some loud music and we exercised together in our respective living rooms simultaneously. Then we danced and we laughed. It was one of the highlights of my day. Rabbi Yaakov Meidan, the head of the esteemed yeshiva of Haaretzion in our community here in Alonshfut in Gushetzion, he made a moving, brief, and urgent address to his students as he was suddenly forced to close the yeshiva because of the corona crisis. 
the only time since the Yom Kippur War that the yeshiva did not have a full Beit Midrash, study hall, reverberating with the sounds of Torah study, was now. With a pained look on his face, he quoted the Rambam, Maimonides, in the first chapter of Hilchot Ta'aniyot, The Laws of Fast Days, who writes, It is a positive mitzvah from the Torah to cry out to God when there is a disaster that lands on your community. But it is not enough to cry out. We must know how to seek change within ourselves. And if we think that this is all a fluke, a random happening, we will only distance ourselves from bringing about change, and we will distance ourselves from God. In other words, if we write God out of our life stories, if we don't hear the angels of discomfort as God's silent summoning, as a whisper of Vaikra, we might be so busy trying to get rid of the angels of discomfort that we'll forget that they are actually here to help us, to step up our efforts to bring redemption, not only for the Jewish people, but to the world. I will, Blinedo, take upon myself to practice mindful humility during this corona crisis, to bring the wisdom I share in the name of the one or ones who said it, and not only that, but to cry out to God and to reach out to people in need. I won't be one of the medical heroes or scientists who will be saving lives, and no one will publicly applaud me, which is fine. But I hope to be doing my small part in my small home to bring a small geula redemption to my family, to my community members, and who knows, maybe even beyond. What will you do? Thank you, Tovalea. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode of Pardes from Jerusalem.